0: Welcome to the Architectural Alchemy Podcast, a podcast about reconnecting with nature and ourselves via architecture and design to create happy, healthy homes. I'm Elise Sorge, and I'll be your host. Join me as I take a deep dive with various experts and creatives into all things design and how we can find balance for our mind, body, spirit, and our environment via our homes and the built form. This is episode three with Vicki Mullins from the Interior Design Institute. I graduated from the Interior Design Institute last May and today I was lucky enough to have a chat with my tutor from the Interior Design Institute, Vicki Mullins. We talked about planning spaces for work and study in the home, how to create a safe, cosy, relaxed environment in your home given that we're spending so much time there We went in depth about lighting design and in particular bathroom lighting for mood and makeup application. We also touched on kitchen lighting and her thoughts about how interior design trends may shift from the combined crisis of the bushfires that we've had and now COVID-19. So Vicky Mullins started her career as a graphic designer working in the magazine publishing industry for 15 years and worked as a freelance artist painting artwork by commission for interior designers and private clients. During this time, she developed a passion for interior design, renovating houses as a hobby, and after completing six large-scale renovation projects of her own, she decided to study interior design formally and turn her passion into a career. She studied interior design with Melbourne Polytechnic, formerly known as NMIT, and has since worked as an interior designer with a building company before branching off to specialise in lighting design and taking up further studies in lighting engineering and design with RMIT. For six years, she has worked as an architectural lighting designer on residential, commercial, retail and hospitality projects, providing her with the opportunity to combine her love of colour, design fundamentals, with the more technical requirements of lighting design. During her time in industry, Vicky has remained active with the Melbourne Polytechnic mentoring students and eventually moving into a teaching role with the interior design department, specializing in colour, lighting, design fundamentals and computer applications used in the design industry. Vicky is now teaching interior design full time across several institutions, Melbourne Polytechnic, TAFE, and as a tutor with the Interior Design Institute. I hope you get loads and loads out of this episode. I hope you can take away some really practical info and let me know what you think. So here is my chat with Vicky Mullins. Hi Vicky, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Uh, Hi Elise, Um, thanks very much for inviting me to join you. Oh, you're very welcome. Would you like to just get started by giving us a bit of your background, what your specialties are and and how you became to do what you're doing?
1: Yeah, sure, no worries. Um, So I originally started as a graphic designer and worked for over a decade in that industry um, and then sort of decided to change career paths and study interior design, so um, from there, I went on to work as an interior designer in both residential and commercial uh, spaces, um, and then specialised into uh, lighting design and um, did some extra study, just did a, a lighting design and engineering course. And then from there, I um, just uh, sort of focused more on um, commercial spaces with lighting and then still continuing on with my interior design practice as well. Um, for the last seven years, I've been teaching, I decided to, to go into teaching and um, I have to admit it's one of the best decisions I've ever made and um, I teach uh, face-to-face with a company called Melbourne Polytechnic, uh, New South Wales TAFE, as well as online with the Interior Design um, School as well, the one that you studied at.
0: Yes, well, and that's exactly how we Mm. came to do this because you were my tutor for the Interior Design Institute and you were amazing. So thank you for all your help with that. It really helped me get through that. So... I guess what I would really like to talk about today um, as we're recording this, as you would obviously know, um, we're in a really strange situation in the world with the whole COVID-19 pandemic. We're all currently locked inside or not, not locked inside, but we're you know being told not to go outside. So we're all kind of isolated, but we're really spending a lot of time in our home and we're trying... A lot of us, are, if we're still working, we're trying to juggle working from home, whether we have done that before or not. We might have kids at home who need to be homeschooled while you're working, or in my situation, I've got a two and a four-year-old at home while I'm trying to work. And it's a really intense period of time. And it it got me thinking, you know, what can we do in our homes currently with what we have at our disposal to make us feel comfortable and relaxed and given all of the craziness that's in the outside world, how can we create a space that is going to bring our nervous system down and and bring some calm to, to us?
1: Of course, that's a that's a great question, Elise, and um, one that we could cover off in a, a couple of different areas. Um, I think um, obviously the first issue that we we come across is space. Like, um, do do we have enough space to create maybe some separate zones at home? Mm. So it'd be nice just to have a, a, a zone where we 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 can dedicate that to work, um, and we can have it sort of you know nice and brightly lit and sort of or the task area is really well lit and we can conduct our work in that area. But if space allowed, to be able to close that area off and then have other areas of the home where we can encourage some relaxation. So yeah. that would that would be the first um, area, that, the first part that I would look at with doing the interior design. Um, the second part is I'd look at sort of um, how can we use some, maybe some colours to sort of create these types of areas that we're trying to encourage and some, you know, some of these feelings that we're trying to encourage. So we could look to use, um, in the in the areas of relaxation, more warmer colours, maybe sort of more muted colours and not so bright yeah. Um we could look at the lighting, we could sort of say for the areas of relaxation, can we try and make it to subdue the lighting or maybe turn all the overhead lights off and just have only lamps and sort of additional lighting sources. Um, alternatively, obviously for the work areas, we really want them to be really well lit. So we treat that as a very separate um, part of the lighting design.
0: So for someone who is has just found themselves dropped into this situation where... They're not, they're not prepared to work from home. They're certainly not prepared for their kids to be homeschooled. Is there anything practical that we can do without obviously reconfiguring the whole house? You know, just thinking about kids that are used to coming home and that's their area to play or to eat or to sleep and, and have fun and all of a sudden now they're having to treat their home as school as well And and how you would navigate... Getting them in that school zone and concentrating and then being able to pull them away from it because I I imagine it would be very stressful for kids that are school age and also for the parents trying to get them to have that mental separation as well. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. And it's a, it's, a, it's a terribly difficult situation that everyone's facing at the moment and everyone's stress levels are incredibly high um, for children and for the parents. And the mm-hmm. parents are obviously trying to think of everything. They, we don't know how long um, our isolation period will last for. We're not yeah. too sure of the wide-ranging impacts on it. So the parents might also be facing possibilities of a change of their career yeah. A permanent change or a, you know a temporary change, along with also taking on the additional responsibilities of homeschooling, which is a specialised profession. We can't you know underestimate the the benefit that teachers provide to to learning. Like it's, it's you know there's five years of training involved with that. Absolutely. So yeah, we can't just sort of take that on and think oh we're going to be great at oh. the
0: first day. So. And the daycare teachers, my oh, goodness. Of course, in the daycare,
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. So yeah, not just not just. I the take school. my
0: hat off to them.
1: Oh yeah, no, of course. Yeah. So um so to answer your question, I sort of look at, obviously, like I said before, if we, if you had the luxury of space, we could do anything. So luxury yep. of space, um, we could achieve it. But let's just be realistic. Like most of us don't have the luxury of space. Yeah. So I think for me, if I was to create an area for children to study in, I would first of all try and remove any distractions that I can. So, yeah. you know, like anyone, like even as an adult, we, we get easily distracted uh, and kids do as well. So I think first of all, If I could find a space, um, even if it's a part of a bedroom or something, and just to actually just remove all as many distractions as I could, Um, and then sort of say um, and sort of designate that as now the work zone, and so we don't and Mm -hmm. not to not to um, mix it with other activities and tasks. Yeah. The other thing I would look to do is set times. So actually, just um, keep keeping that routine because at the moment we're all you know, school-aged children are familiar with a routine. And yeah. so, you know, at 9 o'clock, school starts. So, for example, even if you can't allocate a set space at home, even if it's on the dining room table, you say, okay, we all have a lot of fun. Then at 10 to 9, all the fun stops. We clear the space off and now we can go on and we can do our schooling. So from 9 to 10.30 is school. Then we have a bit of a break and we have a recess. You know, we go outside, we play a bit of handball, mm-hmm. we come back in. And then we sit down and then back to school again. So I think I'd focus really on time as well as creating a space, even if it's, you know, a a common area space that's not always dedicated to study, just to try and remove any type of distraction from that area during work time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm having that trouble at the moment because I'm working from the dining room table thanks to water damage to my almost renovated office. So it's really hard to switch off because I can't, pack away my massive computer. Um, So I think that's a really good point about packing it away if there's no dedicated zone, just so everyone can mentally switch off because I I just can't even imagine having to homeschool. And I have found just this week, you know, it's taken a while to adjust, but having my little ones at home and starting to get a rhythm to the day and, and knowing, okay, I can probably have an hour in the morning and while they're playing and, and just setting up those times. But, you know, for me, realistically, it's going to be at night. So yeah. I then need to be able to, to switch off and then go and relax in that way. And, and one of the ways that, that I'm really finding and I have found since I had kids to relax is once I'm done work and the kids are in bed and everyone's gone to sleep and I'm usually still up is to go into the bathroom and have a shower and have that being a really relaxing space. And, and so I guess just to segue into into the bathroom, I think for me, creating a spa feel at home has always been really important and having it be a really grounding space to get centred and, and de-stress. But I think more than ever, now when we can't go to the hairdresser, we can't get our makeup done, you know, we're not going anywhere People are going to be wanting to do all of that at, at home. And we often don't have great lighting in the bathrooms if we haven't, you know, just renovated it or had a lighting designer come in. So for people that are perhaps at home and wanting to plan a renovation with, if they've got spare time and they're obviously staring at all of their walls <laughs> for many, many hours... What would your tips be in terms of, I guess, first and foremost, um, lighting in terms of makeup application? I think that's a really yeah, sure. important thing. But then more broadly speaking, to also create a spa feel. So you've got lights that you know, are appropriate for, for getting dressed up, but then also mixing that with a really relaxed scene.
1: Of course. No, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I found um, when I was working in lighting design full time, um, when I did do residential properties, um, people asked me for help and for advice so that was my job. I'd just go out to people's homes and obviously um, reconfigure the, the lighting in the home. And everyone always asked for your opinion or asked for your help because they weren't happy with the, the lighting either in the bathroom or in the kitchen. Yep. So I find that um, with uh, we, we call it generally it's sort of task lighting. So obviously task areas, we're normally in there to perform some sort of job. Yeah. So what you'll find with, um, I'll start from the start. So any sort of lighting design, any successful lighting design is done in layers. So if I was to go into a home and just install only down lights all on the ceiling, have them on an on and off switch, um, you would walk away from that lighting design feeling pretty uninspired and pretty unhappy with my services. Yep. So I think the way that we need to look at it is we need to go, okay, um, how can we, first of all, do we want to um, sort of install anything, any aesthetic sort of um, feature lights? Like do we want to have a pendant in there or something decorative mm-hmm. that's not necessarily giving us a function? It's just being, it's just in there just to look pretty and to suit the overall design of the scheme. Yeah. So, um, scheme design. And so, and then from there, I'd sort of work back and go, okay, so I've selected a piece that is there purely only for its aesthetics. And then I'd work back and go, okay, so what else do I need to achieve in this lighting design? Do I have enough overall light? So if not, I would look to boost up the amount of overall light. And in that case, I might actually use a few down lights in combination with the aesthetic piece, the, the feature piece. mm mm-hmm. Um, and then in the, the way that we would look at it in um, with the kitchens and the bathrooms, we need to look at the actual task areas. So in a kitchen, for example, it's all about your bench space. So in the kitchen, we're, we're focused wholly and solely on the horizontal surface. Um, so in that case, we, we want to look at do we have enough light and is it in the right position? So in a kitchen, you'd ideally have the, the light installed physically positioned between um yourself and and the wall for example yep. So you don't you don't want your body blocking the light and creating shadowing on your hands as you're chopping and preparing food yeah um in the in the bathroom it's very different though so in the bathroom i'm not concerned about the vanity anymore like i don't want to look at the vanity top it's not you know i'm not doing anything any high detail any high, high task here you know activities on there. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, in the bathroom, I'm thinking about um, the the vertical spaces like my face. Yeah. So with women, like we're obviously concerned about uh, makeup application and maybe you know using eyebrow
0: tweezers and things like that. And um, just and just not wanting to walk into the bathroom in the morning and go oh oh my god is that what it look like <laughs> that,
1: that, that will happen sometimes regardless of how good the
0: lighting but if lighting can help
1: <laughs> good lighting and a filter maybe
0: well, if um, we could carry around a filter that would
1: be great <laughs> no. so um yeah so look i think um and so with the with the bathroom what we really want to do now is we want to position the lights in a different position we actually want to to light a vertical space so for men we want to have really good lighting for shaving our face for women we want to have good lighting for makeup so in this case we don't actually want the light really all of the light coming from the ceiling because what happens is the light coming from the ceiling that will travel the trajectory down over your face and then all of a sudden you'll create all these pools of shadow like in and around underneath your eyebrows and mm-hmm. underneath your nose so it's not really good even lighting so with the task lighting in a bathroom we really want to have it ideally wall-mounted Mm-hmm. Um, even if we were to go back to you know to the 70s and things like that, and look think about Hollywood lights that you'd see that would be mounted around, yep. mirrors. Um, <laughs> even though that's a bit of an old-fashioned um, sort of design, the actual the lighting design behind it um, was correct. So you know, vertically yep. mounted light shining onto a vertical surface um, minimises all the shadows and gives you a really good amount of lighting. Um, Not all of us can do that. So if you're working with a building that's already been built um, and you don't have any wiring already in the walls, um, you might not be able to install wall lights very easily or it might be quite an expensive venture. So another option, the second best option would be maybe suspending a pendant or two pendants. It doesn't have to be just one. Ideally, you'd have the lighting coming evenly from both sides of the face as well. So two pendants, say, for example, either side of the sink would be great. Um, as long as they give light in all directions obviously not just sort of focused down and then that way that's sort of acting as a wall light but we're able to get um, the wiring up through the ceiling to install the lights into the new position Um, and the third option it's not the ideal but it's better than nothing is to actually um, use something like a, a down light or something ceiling mounted but where it is better is the positioning of it so for example if you're standing in front of the mirror you really want that any ceiling mounted lighting has to be installed between you and the mirror so for example if i looked at the sinkhole in the vanity and yeah. pointed the line directly up that would be where i would want to install the lights for the bathroom if i had to do the third option and i, I had to use a downlight or some sort of ceiling mounted light
0: yeah. okay yeah that's great And this question I have seen so many times, the light over the bath, it's Mm. in every Pinterest photo, it seems, and everyone wants it because it looks amazing. But what are the issues with that? Can you do it? And if you can, what do you need to look out for?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question, that one. And actually for that, we actually need to go back to um, the Building Code of Australia. So there's a set of regulations and rules that um, Mm -hmm. governs the way we build properties but also the way we deal with electricity and also artificial lighting. So there's a section of the Building Code that that deals with only artificial lighting. Um, So the regulations around it um, it's. Not a simple yes, no question. So mm-hmm. um, basically we need to look at the area of splash, so the possibility of uh, water splashing the fixture and the distance from the bathtub to the fixture. So, for example, if I, see, if I had a, a fixture that was ceiling mounted um, and obviously the, uh, ceiling height of say, 2,700 high, um, the, the splash, the chance of you splashing in the bathtub and that water actually touching the fixture is pretty low. Yeah. So that's sort of safe. But alternatively, what happens now if I wanted to, I had this really amazing pendant and I really wanted to drop it down and hang it down really low for maximum amount of drama, then all of a sudden my splash distance becomes a lot shorter. Yeah. So um, either way, so we can work around it. So there's, what we're trying to do is we're trying to protect the actual fabric or the, the material of the fixture. So, for example, well, imagine if it was fabric, like a fabric, shade or paper yep. shade yeah we wouldn't we, realistically we wouldn't want that anywhere near water anyway because the fixture uh, material would get damaged but aside from that imagine if i had a glass pendant um, and so we're not so worried about the material we're worried about the electricity yeah what we need to do is um the way that we get around it is we drop the voltage down on the fixture okay. so what this means is um so it's not to be too technical or anything, but currently the the voltage, the mains voltage in your home is two hundred and forty volts. Mm-hmm. So if you have direct contact with that unprotected direct contact with that, it would be fatal. So it's obviously quite dangerous. That's why we have to have only qualified electricians to come in and install lights. Yeah. Um, but a way we can get around that is we can actually use something called a transformer, which then drops the voltage down to a safer voltage for us to be able to handle that voltage. And so um, the, the light will still operate underneath the reduced voltage. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens now, if I, once it's been transformed, once it runs through the transformer, the, the level of current is so low that if I touched an exposed wire, i get a very small jolt but I wouldn't actually get any, um, cause any injury or harm. Yeah. We've just protected the the external part of the fixture. So the, the transformer would sit up in the ceiling, it'd be hidden. Um, and the only downside with this so there's always a you know a downside to everything yeah the upside is obviously safety um the downside is is it would limit the type of globes or bulbs you can use in the pendant so where at the moment you could go to a hardware store or the supermarket and you could just pick any up off the shelf as long as it's got the same lamp base and use it um you are limited it's not um it's not totally reduced but there's a little selection available is very limited but the upside is is that you get to have a pendant hanging down over the bath and it's nice and safe
0: yeah and would you I imagine that the installation cost would be a bit more as well
1: a touch more yeah to be honest a transformer is actually not too expensive so um where we where you would see transformers used quite commonly and you just maybe wouldn't have thought about it before is with garden lighting So for example, um, if I went to my local hardware store and I found like a DIY kit, like a garden lighting kit, and it might have, you know, a couple of spike spots and things, a part of that kit is a transformer. So the transformer plugs into the 240 volt, 240 volt um, current runs through and then drops down. So with garden lighting as well, it's all about security. So, you know, imagine if I had a whippersnipper and i was doing some edging mm. to go through the wire on a garden lighting system as actually it's not dangerous so it won't oh, co- right yeah a tiny a tiny um you know electrical um like current sort of but it won't actually be dangerous or, or very harmful
0: yeah that's that's actually really good i'd never thought of that mm. that's yeah. a really good point
1: yeah so um yeah so just uh but if anyone's ever thinking about doing anything like that just speak to your electrician just say to them, "Hey, you know I want to, I want to hang something over a bath. Um, they'll talk to you each electrician is has their own level of strictness, um, yeah. but they all have to still then comply to the building code of Australia. yeah um, and so they'll be able to give you options for it and also like talk to you about transformers and, and things like that, but the the cost differential would likely be a um, hundred dollars or under, so it's not okay. Good not huge. Yeah, a, yeah. A little bit of a cost, but it's not something that would stop a project from going ahead or stop your
0: design from going forward. Absolutely. No, that was, that's fantastic information because a lot of the times you, it's just assumed, well, you can't do it here. And it's just something that you see overseas. So I think that's really valuable.
1: Yeah, it's tricky. Um, A lot of people still do it. So I'm not saying that everyone follows the rules. I have to admit, a lot lot of people still do it. But if anyone was ever concerned, and with electricity, hey, like there's a great time just to err on the side of of caution rather than throw, you know, throw everything to the wind and just go for it. So I think, you know, with that, if you're a little bit nervous, especially if you've got kids or, you know, and there's a possibility of splash from any direction, then just drop the voltage down and then that way it becomes safe
0: so on on the topic of light still and bathrooms when you're looking at your lighting and and your colors with your and your tile selection in terms of finishes how does all of that play into the feel of the bathroom so for example in my bathroom i've gone with matte tiles and i've gone Um, just a basic matte white tile on three of the walls and then I have a textured white herringbone tile on the other one and I find that just to be really soft rather than clinical and especially when the lights are on. So I have warm-mounted lights um, where my vanity is and I just put those ones on and it's a beautiful, warm, soft light but I imagine... It's so important to get those choices right if you're wanting to create a bathroom that is a place of relaxation and grounding and and a way to you know unwind. Of so what, what would your what would your tips be and what would you what would the opposite be, I guess? Like what yeah, sure. what choices would you not make as well?
1: Okay. Um, no, it's, a, it, again, very good question. So um, in regards to, I'll ignore the, you know, selecting materials part, but imagine that we're working with what you've got. So yep. um, every surface has a, a certain amount of reflectiveness about it. So, for example, carpet has a very low reflectiveness, like you think about the highly textured nature of it, it absorbs a lot of light. Mm-hmm. Um, And then moving up, obviously, a matte surface still. um, The the light doesn't reflect as much off it. So, again, it's absorbing a lot of light. Um, And anything that is reflected off it is softened. It's not so sharp. Um, but if we alternatively, if we had like a, if we're looking at materials that were highly reflective, so or glass is highly reflective or even a high gloss tile, for example, and you're using that on the floor. So imagine, again, if I had uh, a series of downlights, a, a bank of downlights, mm-hmm. uh, downlights are acting essentially as a spotlight. So you just got many, many, many spotlights on a ceiling. So imagine if I combined that then with a highly reflected floor tile. Highly reflective yep. floor tile. So all of a sudden, um, all of those spots from the downlights are visible. Um, all of a sudden, they're not just visible on the floor, but they're also bouncing light around. And so the, you know, the, the reflection from it is quite high. So um, I think you know, if you had a choice of choosing a, a matte or a softer or a pearl sort of finished material, it does make it a little bit softer. Um, another way we can soften it as well is trying to avoid a lot of down lights on the ceiling because obviously like they are designed to be spotlights so budget permitting and building permitting um anywhere we can install uh lights in layers like for example um on the wall or on the ceiling or dropping down pendants or you know just having them at different layers and not all just coming from the ceiling surface really helps us to create um a more um developer more thought thought out sort of lighting design that's a little bit more evolved than just downlights. Yeah. Um, in regards to colour, so um, colour, like out of all the elements, like um, colour is the, the first thing that we see. So everyone associates colour, um, associates with colour. Everyone has a preference with colour. Even if you ask someone, if I met with a customer and I said to them, oh, okay, so this is the lighting design. What colour temperature would you like the lights to be? They'll say, I don't know. I've just make it anything. So we have to remember that even if someone doesn't think they have a, a preference with colour, they actually do. So everyone yeah. everyone has a preference with colour. Um, so with um, artificial lighting, so in the home we've got um, a range of warm and cool lights. Um, commercially it's a little bit broader, the, the range that we have, only because it's sort of specialty sort of lighting situations. But in the home, like you normally have either warm or cool. So warm, as, um, as the name suggests, is more of your oranges and your reds and your yellows, and then cool is more of your blues and into your violets. So depending on the location of the home in Australia, say, for example, most of Australia is quite warm um, as a physical temperature, you'll find that um, for most people, they actually prefer warm colour lighting. So yeah. they normally look for a warm white in the home. Um, commercial lighting is very different, but just you know, focusing on, on the home at the moment. And to a smaller degree, um, some people prefer a cool white. So it's so definitely a, a personal preference. Um, my approach to it was even if people would ask me what my opinion was, I wouldn't actually give them advice because people are so sensitive to colour, mm. I would physically show them the difference. I'd, I'd have samples with me and I'd say, okay, this is warm and this is cool, you make your decision. And I can guarantee you just after that simple um, simple test, yeah. they'll have a definite, yes, it has to be this colour temperature or yes, it has to be that colour temperature. So I do prefer the client to choose only because the greatest thing that upsets people with lighting design in the home mm-hmm. is, first of all, task lighting being incorrect or inadequate, um, yeah. which we touched on before. The second thing is a colour. So they might have actually let the electrician, for example, select all their lights because the electrician said, hey, that's all right, I can get you a great discount from my local um, wholesaler. Um, It's fine. I've installed heaps of this product before and it's great. And so he or she's mostly 100% right in all that criteria but hasn't asked you maybe some questions that an interior designer or a lighting designer would like, you know, how Mm -hmm. much light do you like? Just simple stuff like that. Like some people... Like a space to be super bright. Like some people come home from work, turn all the lights on, they want it to be really bright. But other people, they actually like it to, to be really de- like dimmed down. And mm. they, they, they come home from work and they turn off all the overhead lights and only have lamps on. So that we need to go. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> and everyone's different. There's no right or wrong. You just have to develop, like good lighting design is developing the design to suit the person's, yeah. um, the way they live and their home. So I would look at it to say how much light do you need and how much do you prefer as a personal preference? And then with the colour, um, I'd say that for 90% of the people, they choose warm white. Um, And the reason for that is warm. It's more comforting. It's more soothing. It's more welcoming. Um, Warm colours in general, they um, slow the time down a little bit. They encourage you to stay longer and relax. Um, Whereas cool white is much better for task so if I was doing a lighting design for a school or for an office mm-hmm. it would be cool white. Yeah, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even ask the question. It would be like this is this is the area because you want to encourage work and activity and you know um, sort of mental activity and thought and you know communication and things. So cool white's better for that.
0: But, and I guess know, that's that that explains why <laughs> back in the day when you, when I would have been at a nightclub and they turn the lights on at the end and it's that awful white light. They want you to get out.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. stop <laughs> relaxing and having a great time. We all need to clean the bar and go home. Thank yeah, you very exactly. much. <laughs> Thank you for your patronage. Yeah, that's why we call it the ugly lights. Oh, the ugly lights are on. Time to go. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, actually funny you should talk about that. So I'm um, going back to bathroom lighting design. So apart from people's preference, obviously, and looking at the room, Um, The other thing we would look at is um, the way that the different colour lights um, accurately reflect the colours of the surfaces. So not to go into too much technical detail and bore everyone, but um, if you think about our colour of our skin, so our colour of our skin, it's made up of yellows and oranges and reds and browns and, you know, sort of a, a mix of very warm colours. Mm-hmm. Even if we don't have a naturally very strong tan or anything, they're still made up of, majorities made up of warm colours. So in that case, if we use warm lighting, it's actually going to accurately reflect our skin tone a lot better than what it would if we use cool lighting or, as you say, ugly lighting, <laughs> like ugly lights. <laughs> so, so the cool light, what it does is it... it because it's the opposite side of the colour wheel, so the blue neutralises the orange in our skin. So if the lighting colour temperature is too cool, what that does is it actually dulls down all the orange in your skin and it actually makes you look like you're a little bit ill or a little bit washed out. Yeah. You know, when you, you know, if you are ill and people say to you, gee, you don't look very well, um, it's generally because the colour is washed out of your skin. So if our lighting temperature in the bathroom isn't quite right, we could actually um, be recreating that and sort of, you know, making ourselves look a little bit washed out. Um, For women, you might be putting on the wrong Color makeup, you know, yes. if it's not the correct lighting application. You might think, Oh, hey, it's I've nailed it, it's perfect, I look great. Yeah, then, then walk outside, and someone <laughs> goes, What is wrong with you?
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Did you we put your makeup that. on in the dark? <laughs> no just cool lighting
1: (laughs) yeah so it's tricky so yeah you want to have enough you want it to be the right color and you want it to be in the right location i think with the task lighting the predominant issue that people have is it's not in the right location so just remember a vertical surface ideally will have a good light source on the vertical surface to cast direct light onto it um you know in the kitchen that's horizontal over directly over the bench tops and the cooktop in the bathroom, it becomes our face. That's our main task area and that's what we're focused on.
0: And just just jumping into the kitchen real quickly, mm. if, for example, you are lucky enough to have a kitchen that has a big bank of skylights right in the middle of the kitchen, how do you manage the lighting at night with that? Obviously, I imagine the task lighting you're still going to have over the benches where you can. But what would you do with that situation if it's if it's not a big kitchen, but there's a there's a big opening, and at night, obviously, you're not getting that natural daylight.
1: Yeah, funny. Um, this is again another great question. And um, so, when I did work on interior design and lighting design, um, residential properties, a lot of them were very high end, very you know, very expensive builds, um, architecturally designed, and really spectacular buildings. So. Um, but I did find that a lot of them would have a skylight directly above the kitchen mm. as so I'd be doing conducting my lighting design consultation with a client and say that. So I say to them, okay, then so how do you want to approach the lighting in the kitchen? And they'll say, well, no, the lighting in the kitchen's fine. Like I've got this massive skylight. <laughs> but the, the idea is that most of us come home of an evening and then want to cook. So, you know, obviously the skylight only helps us, you know, up until a certain time of the day. So, Um, good question. So ways that I would go about it. So if you have, um, overhead cabinets or a shelf above the benchtop, great opportunity to be able to install some under shelf lighting. Um, and then that way it's directly, you know, it only sits the shelves or the the cabinets normally sit around 600 mil off the Mm benchtop. So the light's nice and close. You're not blocking it. You're not creating any shadowing. Um, so it's a good amount of lighting and it's in the right location. Yeah. The other um, option that you've got is wall lighting. So if I don't have any shelves or if I didn't have any wall cabinets, is it an opportunity where I can pop some wall lights in? And a lot of wall lights either point directly down or go up, shine light up and down out of the Mm -hmm. fixture. So um, that's an opportunity where we can maybe use ones that point directly down and then that way it's actually giving us nice direct light again onto our task area. Um, failing that if we can't do um, all of those or if we need extra, um, you will need to start redirecting the light. So in a way, like uh, imagine if I had some sort of um, uh, maybe like a track light or a spotlight, something that's designed to throw the light out further, you're going to have to install it wherever you can, um, you know, around the the, the skylight and then sort of point it down directly onto the work surface the only problem with that is, is number one, the, or the the only problem is the position. So the reason why that's an issue is, first of all, if you're if, it, if you're going to stand in between the light source and the bench top, you're going to create shadowing. So you've already yeah. failed the idea of it being a task light situation. The second thing is, is um, if say for example, I had an opportunity to install it in front of me and then point the light down onto the bench, then I'm going to face an issue of glare. Yeah. Um. And where that's going to make it quite uncomfortable if the trajectory of the the angle of the the spotlight is wrong, um, you're going to make it really uncomfortable for you to work in that space because you're not going to be able to look at look towards the light source. So some people are very very sensitive to glare. So we have to also keep that in mind as well when we do lighting design.
0: Absolutely. That was great.
1: Yeah. Good question though. Um. Super super tricky. And you'd have to just yeah. treat each house as a case by case scenario. To be honest, like there's not a yeah. one. Yeah, not a one, one, you know, um, one solution fits all boxes, unfortunately.
0: Well, especially um, depending, yeah, the size of the kitchen, the shape, mm, how many skylights, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So just to wrap up, and I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit here. Okay. Given we've just entered 2020, a new decade, we've just gone through bushfires floods and we thought that was bad enough and now you know the whole world is possibly you know we're in a pandemic at the moment and possibly you know a deep recession following that what are your thoughts and this is just going to be off the top of your head but what is your feel on on how interior design trends may pick up on that and and where do you see things going perhaps in 2021 after this is all over
1: yeah that's a yeah great question and um i would sort of look at it to think um i think everyone at the moment i get the impression that everyone's actually sort of stopped in a taking stock of the world around them themselves how they live how they interact with other people and um and i think what I'm picking up on is that we're we're, we've become a a society that's disconnecting with nature to some degree and um you know we're living we we do live more indoors we're disconnecting with nature um and maybe also disconnecting with ourselves as well so i find that um where the interior design trends might go to is actually creating a little bit more of a sanctuary at home so a little bit more of a Um, You know, a home is a safe area where we feel comfortable and we enjoy to be in. Um, I also think that there might be um, opportunities where we can um, integrate our indoors with our outdoors again and maybe try and reconnect with nature in some way. Absolutely. So it might not be that we're building internal courtyards into, you know, our living rooms and things, but we might just want to reconnect with nature to to use more um, organic materials or maybe some organic shapes, um, with colour, looking to bring in some more natural colours, um, simplifying colour palettes so that there's not so much distraction um, and just reducing sort of excess visual noise and, um, and, and keeping it, um, pairing things back a little bit. So I think um, a little bit less about material- materiality and a little bit more about connecting again with nature and maybe rejuvenating ourselves
0: a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I totally agree and that's exactly where, my passion lies so yeah it's yeah i couldn't have said it better myself well thank you so much that was so valuable There's so i'm actually going to go back and listen myself there were so many <laughs> nuggets of wisdom in there thank you for your time a very it was so nice to talk to you finally we've only ever corresponded via email but it was lovely no, to chat with you and catch up
1: no um, thank you so much no thanks thanks again for inviting me so it was it's been a great talk
0: You're very welcome. And I'll have um, all your links in the show notes for everyone if they want to catch up with you. But do you have an Instagram or a website or anything where people can find you?
1: no i don't actually um no so i just sort of now working through my school so the interior design institute so if yes. anyone wanted to find anything more about me through there i actually have like a tutor profile on the website um i'm sure you'll yeah, include a link with it with the yes. with the podcast as well but yeah so if you ever want to find out anything about me there's also on that on that website
0: awesome thanks again no excellent thanks very much elise I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. They'll be dropping weekly and we've got many more interesting guests and designers to come. You can find me on Instagram at architecturalalchemy. I'd love to hear from you if you have any guest suggestions or if you would like to be a guest. Also, if you could take some time to rate and review on iTunes, it would make a huge difference and would help us be found by many other people.